1: So welcome back, Nick. Now, I wanted to just jump gears a little bit and chat in this episode all about the Varroa mite. Now, the Varroa mite has made headlines across the world, but lately it has been found that it has actually crossed our Australian shores and it has been detected in northern New South Wales. So why are beekeepers around the world so terrified of this tiny little mite?
2: Yeah, it was a very, very sad day when the news got out that um, a varroa mite had been discovered in a sentinel hive, which is a hive specifically put in places usually next to um, the big wolves. And they they found the mite and their sort of situation for beekeeping in Australia just changed dramatically. And the reason why varroa mite is such an issue is that and this may be a little bit controversial, but it, it's it's my sort of personal view as a beekeeper who's been um, observing this for a long time. There's lots of things that bees can live with and tolerate. So they it seems that they can tolerate a lot of intensive agricultural farming and pesticides and herbicides. It's like they can tolerate the shallow gene pools involved with breeding specific strains of bees. They can handle some other pests like the small hive beetle and sack brood and American fowl brood, which may mean nothing to your listeners, but these are all things that weaken honeybee families. But when you add varroa mite, it's like a tipping point. And I say this because Australia, up until last year, was the only continent on Earth, apart from Antarctica, that was varroa free. And as such we'd never experienced this um, so-called colony collapse disorder. So all of a sudden, around the world at different times, people have been noticing that bees just basically have been dying and disappearing overnight. And in all of those places, there was varroa mite. And varroa mite is this tiny little mite, about the size of a pinhead, that breeds inside the cell, inside the honeycomb cell, where the bees grow their larvae or their brood. And that mite sucks on the fats and the energies from that growing larvae. And as you can imagine, that sort of weakens it. But in addition, much like mosquitoes are a vector for malaria, varroa mite can be vectors for diseases that also weaken the bees. And then once the bees emerge the mites actually sit on their back, continue to feed from them, fly with them out to other flowers and might jump off on that flower and then jump on a, a bee from another colony and go home and with with them. And one Varroa mite uh, can breed an entire sort of infestation of Varroa mites by itself. It lays its sun and then it mates with the sun and goes from there. So it's not even as if you need two of them for this to be a problem. And, yes, it's arrived here and beekeepers are very, very concerned about it.
1: No, I feel like the actual scientific name for the Varroa mite is the Varroa destructor. Which sounds terrifying, but it's true. It is very terrifying. And it kind of almost reminds me of head lice. The fact that it literally will be on a bee and it'll, I don't know, that bee will, it's almost like it goes to a flyer, it puts a hat on, and then you've got that, and it just kind of spreads so quickly and so easily. So I feel like there was for a while there, we had these hives in Australia that were actually kind of almost, it was an AI technology, correct me when I'm, if I'm wrong here, that was scanning the yeah. bees as they were coming in to detect the Varroa mites. And everybody was going, this is amazing technology, this is great. But it was a really heartbreaking day when we actually had to put that into place and go, actually, we have detected one here. We're going to have to stop all transport of bees in that area. So what was the kind of the first response when the Varroa destructor was first kind of identified?
2: I know, Varroa destructor, it sounds like a, like a doom metal band, doesn't it?
1: Or it's like a Marvel movie.
2: Yeah. The varroa destructor. There's a couple of different varroa mites, but this is the one that's a real problem. So the first thing that they did was essentially created these different zones. And if you were in the extermination zone, which was anywhere essentially within proximity of where the mites were detected, sadly, your beehive had to be euthanized, which is a very polite way of saying destroyed. And one of the things that beekeepers have found pretty galling, particularly if you're a backyard beekeeper in one of these places, is that you're having to euthanize your hives, whereas at the same time, there were beehives being moved all around the state to deal with almond pollination. So it was as if there were these two narratives. On the one hand, there was this narrative that we had to get all of our um, almonds pollinated, and this is a billion-dollar business, and I'm not throwing that number around. It's literally a billion-dollar business You know, with big investors. like I think even the Canadian Pension Fund invests in Australian almond trees. So on the one hand, you've got this site-specific response where everyone's having to destroy their beehives, which is utterly heartbreaking if you are a backyard beekeeper. And then on the other hand, you've got bees still being moved around in a situation where, as we all now know, in the post-pandemic times, it's impossible to be sure that you've caught every last case. And essentially, that situation is still existing, except now they've opened up the borders. So New South Wales was originally a big quarantine zone for Varroa. So you could not move, from the Victorian perspective at least, your hives from New South Wales into Victoria. And in the middle of you know, the, this sort of Varroa might outbreak, all thousands of hives are destroyed. But essentially what's happened now is that apparently there haven't been any new reports of Varroa might being.
1: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me.
2: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Found, and so they're loosening up the borders, which sounds all very familiar, doesn't it? Like we've just-
1: It does, it's very scarily familiar.
2: Yeah, and so, but beekeepers- I've spoken to some really experienced beekeepers, and they were sort of saying that they think Varroa has been here a bit longer than everyone sort of thinks, and it's only really discovered at that particular time. And the issue with the migratory beekeepers is that they move their bees and their trucks around so often, and not everybody is a super vigilant tester of Varroa mite or. If it's their income, they've got a little bit of a conflict because it's like, okay, I've got Varroa mite. Does that mean that, you know, I can't make my money from honey and pollination? Are they reporting it? Who knows? So it's a very, very scary time because the borders have basically opened up now.
1: That is absolutely terrifying. So we just have to hope that everybody is checking their hives and if they do kind of find an outbreak that they raise the alarm quite quickly and that so we don't have to see any more of this kind of, yeah, it's spreading anywhere and hopefully we don't have to euthanize any more hives.
2: And in the long run what will happen is I've been beekeeping you know with people in Europe and and North America. They live with varroa mite but you essentially have to treat your hives quite regularly with some products that you can't breathe in if you vaporise it because it's poisonous or miticides that affect the honey and you can't rob your honey within a certain time frame of using the product, which is pretty scary. You're talking about putting poisons into directly onto a food product or if you try to go the path of trying to breed resilient genetics that is you know you don't interfere and you let the bees work it out themselves you've got the chance of um losing all of your hives every year until you know a kind of resilient strain comes through and there's lots of people looking into breeding these kind of varroa resistant bees but um there's nothing that's really out there on the market if you like it's it's still very much you have to treat your bees all the time which in australia we've never had to do
1: no, I was reading up about it before this episode, and I think the Varroa mite has been present kind of since 2010 all around the globe. But we've, it took 12 years for it to reach Australia. But it's estimated that if it becomes established in Australia, that it will result in losses of at least $70 million a year just yeah. from this tiny little thing.
2: It'll be huge. I was listening to an entomologist speak. And they were saying that we could expect up to 90% of our bees to effectively die if they're not given treatments. And keep in mind that number um, I mentioned in the previous interview, which was that in Australia 70% of our bee populations are unmanaged and only 30% are managed. So even if the 30% are managed and we manage to you know, keep a lot of those hives still going, you've got all of those wild hives that will just be decimated. And those wild hives are providing free pollination for farmers. So it's it's a very, very serious situation. And, you know, you've got that constant tension between what's actually best for the health of the honeybee population and what's best for human economies. And those two things don't sit side to side very comfortably because, of course, the big agricultural industries want their food pollinated and everybody wants honey that means that there's a big push to open up borders for honeybees to move around which once again sounds so much like the pandemic conversation doesn't it it,
1: it does t- it it does it's a very very scary comparison when you yeah when you think about it and all of this terminology that we're so familiar with now we didn't really think that we'd have to be talking about it from a beehive perspective
2: yeah and um things change really really quickly too so i remember only five years ago maybe four years ago i was visiting some beekeeping friends in paris and they were just talking about these little boxes that were designed to catch the asian hornet which had been discovered in a province down near the mediterranean in france and so all the beekeepers in paris we're talking about it. it's like oh it's going to come we can use these traps and but it's not here yet. When I went back last time, I literally saw these hornets just flying around the hive stealing bees. And I turned to my friend and colleague and I said, "Wow, they're really here." And they said, "Oh yeah, they've been here for years." And I said, "The last time I was beekeeping with you, it, they were a threat." And they said, "Oh no," and you know they're here now. And that's how quickly it changes. So it's going to go from being a threat in New South Wales at the moment to being something that we're just going to have to live with nationally within the next five years. In my opinion, it sounds a bit dark, but I don't see how we can really contain it and I would be very surprised if there isn't a new outbreak that's announced within the next six months.
1: No, it's a very, very scary and sad reality that we are living with at the moment, and I'm sure we'll be all monitoring it very closely over the upcoming months.